0: Well, good morning. I'm Ryan. It's great to see you. I'm the pastor here, um, so it's, it's great to be with you all this Sunday morning. Uh, let's get to work here in Matthew chapter 6. Let me take us back and a little, do a little review so we know where we are, and let's go back to chapter 6, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can kind of flip back or look back to verse 1. Again, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seats in front of you. And in 6, at the beginning of chapter 6 and verse 1, we hear this from Jesus. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. And then Jesus goes along and gives three examples of that we said. So you might say, what does it mean to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them? And Jesus says, let me give you three examples. First, the one of giving to the poor. And he gives the example of giving to the poor and kind of sounding a, a, a trumpet and making it a big deal. Same thing with giving. Uh, how, do you, how do you give in a way that kind of brings glory to yourself and makes yourself feel righteous when well, you do it and you sound a gong or you, you draw attention to yourself, you do it in public places, that kind of thing. Um, um, when, you, when you pray and then also when you fast, he's going to say today, how do, you do, how do you do that? How do you, how do you fast in a way that uh, brings Glory to yourself and makes other, others feel like they're less righteous. Well, so that's where we're going. That's what Jesus is doing. This is the third example of the three. Here's the sermon summary for you that kind of summarizes where we're going. Fasting connects us to the hidden reality that we feast on Jesus. Fasting connects us to the hidden reality that we feast on Jesus. Well, what does practicing fasting in order to be seen by others look like? Jesus tells us. He says this, look gloomy like the hypocrites who disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. So you kind of look downtrodden, you know, it's like, oh, what's wrong, dear friend? It's like, no worries, I'm just miserable because I love God. You know, it's a, it's a wonder why people aren't just coming in droves to be Christians, you know. It's like, it's so terrible, but praise God, you know. Great, you are so righteous, sign me up, please. Right. And so he says to these things, sometimes we have this in our house where our kids, you know, when they've done something wrong, it's like, what happened? What? It's like they're, they're pretending to be really sad about it. Now, I know. That they're not really sad about. It. <laughs> but they're doing a great job of pretending. And that's what these people here are doing with fasting. Right? They're, they're looking gloomy and sad. They're wearing their worst clothes for the day. You know, They're not taking a shower. Their hair is disheveled. Because why? Because they're so righteous and religious and following God. And so, God, help us when we get to the place where our righteousness needs to be seen by others and need to be affirmed by others. And we do it in a way that is, is in public like this. It, the part about it that doesn't really make any sense is the fact that Jesus is saying, right, like, I've given you my righteousness as yours. And now you're trying to kind of create a righteousness that's less than that one? Does that make any sense? Why does that make any sense? You know, it's like saying, I'm a billionaire and I'm going to work really hard to become a, become a thousandaire. It's like, what? Why? Or maybe better, that would fit this kind of example is, hey, I'm a son, and I'm going to work really hard to be an employee of God. Why? You're already a son. Why work hard to be something less than what you already have? Do you see? And so that's what some of the religious people are doing, and that's why I say, Jesus is saying in this, in this new kind of uh, relationship with God, it doesn't make any sense. That, that way of religion, doesn't, it doesn't even fit. And they get what they wanted. In verse 16, he says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So just like we said last week, hey, they fool some people. Some people are like, wow, they fast twice a week. Amazing. That's probably what they were doing was fasting twice a week. Now, I fast you know, usually from my mid-morning snack to lunch every day. Without fail, I'm not making a big deal of it. You know, I'm just, I'm just saying I do that. Um, but they fast twice a week, so they're already, you know, much more dedicated than myself and most of you, right? But that was never prescribed in the scriptures. In the Old Testament scriptures, they had a once a year fast, and then at other times they would fast if there was a, a national emergency or a time of intense prayer, or something like that. They would fast, but they instead said, "No, like this is the law." Fast twice a week. But that was never there. They just made that up. Well, Jesus prescribes a different way. He says when he starts in verse 17, but when you fast, but when you fast, so notice very important, Jesus didn't throw away the religious practice necessarily. What he does is he attacks the way it's being done and the reason for which it's being done. That's really, really important. That Jesus doesn't just get rid of the whole thing. Now, you might say, why not? And, and some of you have asked these questions as we've been going through this. Why not? If, in, if what he says in chapter 5 is right, which is we have no righteousness of our own. We can never attain to the law. Therefore, he's given it to us. So we have it completely. There's nothing else to do. We have righteousness in full. Full righteousness is ours in Christ. We don't add anything to it. We can't change it. He will, God will never leave us. It's all secure. Haven't you removed all motivation for people to do any good works now? Like, why would we do anything? Why would we be involved in any spiritual practices at all? And some of you have thought that, I know. Even if you haven't told me, you've thought it. Because I think it some days too. Why not just kind of chuck these spiritual practices? What so seems like Jesus is saying that the practices themselves are not the problem. But the way and the reason for which they're being done, that's the problem. So why not just get rid of them all? I think because, as we talked about before, in this overthrow of the religious system for a relationship, it's not just getting rid of everything involved in there, but some of those practices are important. But there's a, there's a relationship there that maybe some of these practices actually point us to actually sort of allow us to experience in a, in a deeper way. That's what those practices maybe are actually for. There's something still helpful about these practices. Not doing them in a, in a way that's, that's drawing attention to yourself in public uh, or for the reason to prove something like, I am righteous, watch me, I'll fast twice a week. That goes away. But the practices, they still say. So Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them we might also add, but also be careful not to just throw the practices away altogether of rejecting them in the whole. They've been a part of the church's life for centuries. Jesus fasts, if you just flip back to chapter 4, before he starts his public ministry, you have the temptation in the desert where he's fasting for 40 days and then he's tempted. You have him fasting. You have the, uh, the, the church at Antioch in Acts before they send off Paul and Barnabas to go plant churches all over the place. They, they fast to make sure, are these the guys that we really want to send off? And then Paul and Barnabas, as they begin, they even stop and fast before they go out. And so the practice continues. It's just the reason why it continues is much different. So, if the purpose of these spiritual practices, is not to prove something, is not to gain something, please help us. What in the world are they for? And with that, we'll conclude next week. I'm just kidding. We'll tell you this week. I want to to just talk about spiritual disciplines kind of in general for a minute, and then we'll get more into, specifically into fasting. Here's the sermon summary. Let's remind us of that. Fasting connects us to the hidden reality that we feast on Jesus. So I think these spiritual practices, these disciplines, if you want to call them that, I think what they do is they they help us practice these hidden realities. Let me kind of, let's, let's think about what that means. Notice in verse 18, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you see how he's talking about a reality that can't be seen? So you might, people might ask us, do you believe in God? And we say, yes, yes, we do believe in God. Well, where is he? Well, he's he's hidden. Well, can I see him? Not exactly like that. Why? Because he's hidden at the moment. I mean, sure, you can see him in the midst of, of us in a sense. You can see him in the midst of our lives and in this community, but you can't see him him like you will one day. It's a, it's a bit of a hidden reality, and it's really tough for us sometimes, isn't it? I know if you are like me, you drive down the road, and every once in a while when you're by yourself, you think, is this really a thing? Like, is God, the God of the universe my Father? Does He really hear me when I pray right now? Is He really present with me? Is this really a thing? I'm not sure. And then you just, you know, turn on some music and keep heading down the road, right? Those times come. Well, let me give you some, some good news for your kind of wavering hearts in those moments and all of our wavering hearts in those moments. And that is that God knows. God created us with minds that aren't going to be able to fully grasp that. He's aware that we can't. He's aware that our hearts waver. And He's not judging or hating us for it. He's, he's saying, I know. I know, child. I know it's hard to remember that I'm present. I know it's hard to remember that I'm here. I know it's hard to remember that I'm your father and you speak to me because you can't see me. You know, I know it's hard. I know. The reminder of the unseen reality. So that's why in the midst of that kind of difficulty to realize those things about God, enter these spiritual practices that I think are very helpful. So look at these three and the the examples that he gave and connect them kind of to the gospel reality. Think about giving to the needy. We're practicing the reality that God is our father and provider. Yes, uh, we have jobs and they make money and they do all that stuff right. but, But here's the reality of things. The unseen reality. The seen reality is that I get money, it goes into my bank account, I take it, I pay for things. That's the seen reality. But there's something that's even more true, and that's the unseen reality. And that is the fact that God provides for me. And I only really see that when I get fired from my job, I only really see that when we hit tough times, and I'm desperately calling out to him. But the reality is that all the time, God's my provider. So we give. Why? Because we know he's going to provide anyway. This stuff isn't my stuff, this money isn't even my money, it's his money. And he can make more. You know, he can make it rain any any day he wants. It's it's his money. So we give, knowing that he'll, he'll provide. Even in the midst of our giving money away, he'll provide. And we also say, you know what? It connects me with the gospel reality that I am poor and needy. Another unseen reality, because I have money and a house and a car and all my needs are provided for. But I need to be connected with the reality that I'm poor and needy and desperate. And so when I'm able to give to the poor, that's a reminder, friend, you and me, we're no different. I am poor, I'm needy, and Jesus came to me and gave, gave something that I could have never earned myself, his righteousness. Connects us to that gospel reality. Prayer, same thing, right? Prayer connects us to the gospel reality that we have a real relationship with God, that we can talk to him, that he listens, that he hears our prayers, that he's with us in those moments. We can communicate to him, and he cares. And then fasting, which we're going to spend a little time talking about, practicing the reality that Jesus, as we you heard in the prayer of confession, that Jesus is the bread of life, that he is truly the living water, and that we ultimately, we feast on him. He is the one who sustains us. See, symbols in the in the Christian life are really important. Maybe you've noticed that because we have this bread and this, Juice. I'll say wine because that sounds better. But bread and wine that we take—that's the, the we say this is this is helping us understand the body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ shed for us. And so we have a symbol here to remind us of that, right? And then we have this symbol of baptism, where it's it's a symbol of being washed clean of your sins. A symbol of what Jesus does. You see how God gave us these things, these tangible things to help us understand the unseen realities. Same here with fasting. Think of this from Colossians chapter 2. The fact that we are in Christ but it seems like we're kind of individuals, right? That's the the seen realities that we're just a bunch of individuals. But that's not really how we... It truly is. Colossians 3... 2 through 3, set your minds on things above, not on the things that are earth, for you have died. No, I'm alive. I'm right here standing. No, the reality is that you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I don't remember that on a day-to-day basis. On a day-to-day basis, I'm Ryan, I'm alive, I'm making my own choices, I'm in me, I'm independent, and I'm doing my thing. And I need this to come back to the unseen reality. No, 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 you've died. Your life now is in Christ. That's your true life. That's where you really exist today, in Christ. So it seems like to us, with fasting, that food sustains us. But according to Jesus, there's something more important than food that sustains us in Matthew chapter 4, 2 through 4. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, hey, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, hunger is a daily thing that hits us. You can't go very long at all without realizing our need for food, right? It comes very quickly to many of us. Maybe you can skip a meal because you're busy or something, but at some point it hits and you realize, I need food to sustain me or things are going to go bad. In our house we say you get, start to get hangry, somebody get that kid some food in a hurry because it's, you know, it's going downhill fast. Me and Kate never had that problem. But the kids have the problem. We have to help them with that problem. Get the food. You know, it's, it, they're, they're realizing their desperate need for it. Well, I think that's just rigged by God. He put that in there to be a parable or, or a signpost to something greater. And so when we have that growl in our stomach, perhaps God is saying to us, this is a, just a symbol, like, like the symbol of the bread and the wine. It's a symbol of something greater. Your desperate need for me. Your soul is yearning for me. But the, the you, you pay attention to the physical a lot of times more than that, but but your soul is yearning for me. And so he's put this in place. If you think, it's even before this, before sin enters, remember? In the garden, they have all these trees they can eat from. And my guess is that every time they became hungry, maybe they were reminded, what a good father we have, that when I'm hungry, my stomach, all I do is this. Solved. Done. What a gracious and good God. And that's a reminder and a picture of of the real relationship that they have with Him. That He provides for all of their needs. That He would eventually provide for all of our needs in Christ. Our needs for forgiveness and righteousness. So the word that we feast on of, I did it all in, in your place, Jesus says, in the midst of our restless and anxious soul. The word of, I forgive you and love you in the midst of sin's condemnation. The word of, you have my righteousness in the midst of us finding ourselves trying to create our own. The word of, I am the living water when we're out thirsting, trying to be satisfied by all these things that will never, ever satisfy the longings of our souls. Fasting connects us to the hidden reality that we feast on Christ. Charles Spurgeon, who is a, a preacher, says this there are seven days, seven feast days in his weeks. So imagine hearing that in the context of fasting twice a week and having feast days and fast days. And Spurgeon says, let me tell you about the, the weeks of Christ. There's seven feast days in his weeks, there's no fasting, there's only feasting on Christ. There are seven feast days in his week, and as many as are those days, so many are the banquets in his years. Who has ever returned from his door unblessed? Who has ever risen from his table unsatisfied? His mercies, they're new every morning and fresh every evening. Praise God. There is a time where we will no longer need to fast. And Jesus talks about it in Matthew chapter 9. The disciples of John come and they're kind of saying like, how come your disciples aren't fasting like we are? And Jesus says this, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away. Jesus will ascend as as he is now. And then they will fast. So we're in a A season where fasting is appropriate. But there is a day where we we will truly feast on Jesus. And we won't need the fasting to point us to the feasting on Jesus. We won't need the fasting to to help us realize a hidden reality. Because it's not going to be hidden. He's going to be there with us. And we're going to be feasting on him every moment of every day. Won't that be glorious? And notice in there, there's something about his presence being there, when his presence is there, the, the reality of his presence is there, you, you don't fast, because he's there, and he's the bread of life. But when he's taken away, and his actual presence is not there, then it's time to fast. And so that's, that, that's what I'm talking about here, is I, I think the fasting helps us get to that, a realization, a greater realization of his presence. Something that's often neglected when we're just going through life. I'm not saying that his presence isn't with us when we're here, when we're gathering for, to eat together, all those things. Of course, it's there. But there's something about hiding and getting away, as Jesus is talking about, you know, hide and fast, hide and pray, hide and give, in a sense. There's something that, about that being hidden that connects us with a God who we said in the beginning was is hidden, do you see? And so, so he kind of says, come hide away with me for a minute. Come hide away and fast with me. Come hide away and pray with me. Go to this place where you'll, you'll see no one and be distracted by no one and see me and experience me in my hiddenness and experience my presence there because that's where I am. I am in the hiddenness. But if you only, the the, the danger I guess is, if we only see his presence in kind of the big groups, only in like, when there's thousands of people, you know, praising him at some great concert or something that's great, or you, you hear someone speaking about a, a salvation that's amazing, or someone is healed, or some word from the Lord, or whatever it might be, if we only say, oh, God's presence was so there in that moment, and, and you don't see God's presence in, in the hiddenness, then what happens is, is you're going to miss it in the mundaneness of life. Where's his presence then? It's nowhere to be found. It's only in those big moments. It's only in those spectacular moments. And he's saying, no, just come away with me and shut your door in your house, and I'll be there. Go off to the park where no one is. Sit there. I'll meet you there in the hiddenness, in the mundaneness of life. Where is he when you're sitting at your cubicle or sitting, studying for the next test or whatever it might be, working? Well, if he's only in the spectacular, he's nowhere to be found there. He's in some foreign mission field doing something amazing, giving people dreams and all that. Those are great. He is there. But I'm just saying we have to realize him in the hiddenness if we're going to realize him in the mundaneness of of regular life. If we ignore his hiddenness, we'll be ignoring his presence in those moments. Think about this from 1 Kings. This is such a good picture of, of what we're talking about here. 1 Kings chapter 19 when the Lord speaks to Elijah There he came into a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore in the mountains and broke into pieces and the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. Something else huge. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, He wrapped his face in a cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? You see how God hides himself often in this, this little low whisper. He's just hidden. He wasn't in the big. He was in that little low whisper. He hid himself there. Back to verse 18. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. As I was thinking about this, I'm wondering if Jesus is saying, everyone who fasts gets what they wanted from it. So the people who fast in order to be seen by others, in order to have some sort of righteousness of their own, they got that. They got that. People did look to them as righteous. Okay, great. And and if the implication is also, but listen, listen, You'll get what you want from your fast as well. You're, you're desiring my presence. I'm going to give you a re, the, the realization of my presence in that. And see, he's saying, your father, when you go in secret and fast, your father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. Now, it's not like a not like a transaction thing. Like if I pray for this today and fast, I'll get it the next day. I'm not talking about that. But what I'm saying is, if we're fasting to have a greater and deeper realization of the presence of God, he, over time, have a long view, but over time, he grants us that because he sees us there in secret. He's not ignorant of that. He sees us. Do not worry, Jesus says. Your father who sees in secret, he'll meet you there. His promise is that he'll meet us there and that we'll realize, again, over time, may we realize as we fast in private, that Jesus truly is our feast, that he truly is the bread of life, that he truly is the thing that sustains us. It's Jesus Christ himself that we need to be sustained. Let's pray. God, thanks for this reminder of what we truly feast on And um, help us to trust you in that. Give us a uh, a deeper trust that you will meet us there, um, that you see in secret, and that you bless us in secret. And then if we do these things that seem kind of crazy, and sometimes seem like a waste of time, that... You will be so gracious to us, and we'll look back, perhaps over years, decades, and say, God was gracious, and he met us there. He was a good and faithful God. We're thankful for your faithfulness to us. Thanks for the reminder of it. and Give us a week of feasting on King Jesus. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.